Hey everybody, and welcome to Learning from Smart People. I am your host, Rob Oliver, and I sure appreciate you being here today. I would encourage you to uh, subscribe, whether you're listening as a podcast, subscribe on whatever uh, platform it is that you're listening on, or if you're watching us on YouTube, hit the subscribe button, hit the notification button to make sure that you don't miss an episode. My guest today is Kim Kid Curry. He is a radio guy. He comes from a radio family. And I will—I don't want to kind of mess up his story. I'll let him tell the story. But what happened with him is one day he's doing radio and everything changes with a diagnosis. So, kid, let's start there. Tell me, tell me a little bit about your career in radio and kind of what brought you to, to this point. Okay, Rob, nice to meet you. Thank you very much. Um, when I was in high school, my, my father uh, worked at the local radio station. There was only one radio station in town, and he was the news guy on that station. And uh, he came home one day, and he said they were looking for someone to run a show on Sunday morning. It was the God Show. Uh, so I was the guy that they – and what they did was they recorded all the services from the churches in town, and then they played them the following Sunday morning. And they needed just a high school kid to do that because all the other guys were professional broadcasters. So uh, that's how I got started. I went there to uh, to run the tapes when they called The God Show. Uh, but the first time I heard my voice on the microphone on the radio, because I remember exactly what it was uh, – Every hour we had to say, this is KRLN, Canyon City, Colorado, the station with the news reputation, because that's the station identification. And back then it was required every hour and every half hour. So the first time I said that, it was like, whoa, that's my voice. Uh, and I got, I, got the, I got the bug and ended up going to college, uh, University of Southern Colorado, back when it was... Um, uh, back in the 70s, they call it Southern Colorado State College. But I went there, and then when I was 22 years old, I, uh, after some years in college and learning things, I decided to apply for jobs around the country, uh, send out some air checks, just some tapes of my show around the country, and uh, got a job offer from Knoxville, Tennessee, a little radio station called 15Q. Now, you called me Kid, my name Kim Kid Curry. Here's how that came about. Uh, you couldn't call a guy Kim on the radio in the 70s. <laughs> there weren't very many Kims on the radio. So they had to come up with a different name for me. Now, when I was in college, the radio station I was working on, again, they didn't want to call me Kim, so they called me Gary Paxton. Now, quick history on the name Gary Paxton. He's the guy that wrote the Monster Mash. The guy picked up the record one day and said, listen, we need to call you something else. We're going to call you Gary Paxton. So that was my radio name on, that, on my part-time job in college. So when I got my full-time job in Knoxville, I'm driving across the country, and I had to come up with a different name. I didn't want to be Gary Paxton. I was going to be on the radio at 10 o'clock at night, so I thought I would call myself Night Smoke. Ooh. <laughs> So I drive up to the radio station in Knoxville, and I get out the door, and this is vivid memory. It's never gone away. I go up the stairs, and I open the door, and there was a lady sitting at the desk, the receptionist, and a big guy behind her, and he had a Hawaiian shirt on and curly hair. He was a big, big man. And I, I put out my hand, and I said to the receptionist, hello, ma'am, 
I'm your new nighttime disc jockey. I'm Night Smoke. And the big fat guy behind her says, well, if it isn't Kid Curry. Well, my name is Kim Curry. But when I was growing up, all my friends used to joke and call me Kid Curry, who is a fictitious Western gunslinger. Remember Kid Curry and Hannibal Hayes? That was Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid. So when I was in grade school and junior high and high school, when they called me Kid, I didn't like it. So when the guy said, well, if it isn't Kid Curry, I said, dude, I hate that name. They've called me that since I was a kid. I hate that name. And he says, well, then I won't sign your check. There you go. Kid Curry it is. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Well, okay. So just in terms of when, when we're recording this, um, yes, Rush Limbaugh just passed away recently. Yes, sir. So the interesting part about Rush Limbaugh is that when he originally came on the air, the first radio job he had is right here in, I'm in Pittsburgh, just outside of Pittsburgh, a little place called McKeesport, Pennsylvania is where he started. And his on-air name was Jeff Christie and yep. until eventually he then went by his given name of Rush Limbaugh. So right. uh, I, somehow I don't... I guess you end up with kind of people creating a persona of who they are on the radio. Like, how does that work that you, that you almost have to be someone else or you go by a different name? Why, why is that? And I tell you in, in, in those days, back when we all got started, I got started in 1972. I think it started right, right around the same time. In those days, you created a character because normally, remember, DJs look at the face. We're not meant to be on TV. So we all, we all came up with characters. Back then, you had Wolfman Jack. You had Shotgun Bob Kelly. You had uh, the Grease Man. You had all these guys who had ma made up names because they had to make up characters. So I think what happened was they gave you a different name so you could become somebody because most DJs are just boring people. Now, I became Kid Curry. It became a third party to me. I referred to Kid all the time. It's not me. I'm Kim Curry. Kid was a character I created on the radio, and it worked out very well for me. You know, you can find a bunch of Bill Stevens and Bob Smiths on the radio in America, but at the time, there was only one Kid Curry. You couldn't confuse me with anybody else in my entire career, which was a lucky thing for me because I had an act. If you go back to the days when I started in 1972, I'm going to try to recreate this. DJs had big, deep voices. They didn't have little kid voices like me. So I just, the guy said, you'll be Kid Curry. I was a little kid sounding guy on the radio. And it was, an, it was a really good character. So, you know, it, 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 it really stuck. And it, it, it made me famous. It really did. So... It was a unique situation. So we come up with characters, and that's the same reason why he came. Plus, you know, you don't really, back in those days, it was, you didn't want to give out your personal name on the radio. You know, as a DJ, you didn't want people coming to your house. Right. And that happens. <laughs> I'm sure. I did. Yeah. Uh, very interesting. So you advance in your radio career. You, yes. you go from being kind of a, a DJ spinning records, so to speak, and well, literally at, at that point, I'm assuming. And then, yes, sir. Um, you, I, from what I understand, you kind of progress into management. You end up um, at a radio station down in Miami, and then you get something that changes your life. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? 
Well, during my radio career, uh, I started off in Knoxville. I first went to Miami in 1976. I was there for a few years, establishing my name in Miami. And then I wanted to become a program director. I wanted to become a boss. And my first opportunity was at a station called KTSA in San Antonio, Texas. So I went out there to run that station. Uh, at the time, I was a little punk radio guy, and I thought I knew everything, so I got fired. And then I went across the street to the other top 40-type radio station, and I ran that radio station. And it became somewhat successful because the guy who was the boss didn't really know what was going on. Uh, and then a friend of mine uh, who had a big station up in Washington, D.C., wanted me to come up there and work on the radio just as a DJ. And because it was Washington, D.C., it was large money. And I'd already worked for this guy before, and we knew what we were doing. So we went up to D.C. Okay. Uh, but he was so famous, he, I only got there, and two months later, he got a job back in Miami. And I didn't want to be following him around the country. So that's when I went to Baltimore, and I did a radio show on B104 in Baltimore for many years. But then I went back to Miami. I got hired back down there. And through time, I eventually became the program director of Power 96 Radio. Uh, I got that in 1996. Uh, at the time, Power 96 had been on the air for 20-some years. And for the nine years that I ran the place, we had the highest ratings in the history of the station. I didn't do it myself. I was handed a really good staff. I always referred to it as, you know, I'm the conductor. I have a whole bunch of people. I just conduct differently than everybody else. And it became very, very successful. It was a great run for me. But throughout my career, little goofy things happened. Uh, I could, like my eye would fade or I'd get a real deep pain in my shoulder. One time in particular, now this is in my memoir, um, Come Get Me Mother, I'm Through is the memoir. But I, when I was in Washington, D.C. on Wash FM, I did a feature at the end of my show. Uh, it was called Bed Check. And I would let kids call in and just let them say whatever they wanted to say, like they could pick on a teacher or call their brother a name or make a joke about somebody. Um, it was called Bed Check. Now, I had done this feature throughout my radio career at night at 10 p.m., and in other markets, it was very much a little kid feature. In Washington, D.C., it was political. I couldn't believe it. There were adults calling, and they were ripping on different politicians. Like, it was really strange. But this guy used to call in and say, hey, it's me. I'm Frank DeFramer. I'm over here at the White House, and I just saw the president. He came in and was listening to me on your radio show, and I used to think, that's so goofy, because I didn't believe him. So I'd hang up on him and go to another call. But he consistently called in. So I stopped him one night, and I said, listen, man. I got him off, off the air, and I said, who are you? And he says, I, my name is Frank. I'm the framer of the portraits at the White House. Who knew they needed somebody for that? Right. Now we know. So uh, through a circumstance, a girlfriend wanted to go take a tour, wanted her grandmother to take a tour of the White House, and because I knew a guy at the White House, I had to call Frank to frame him. And it was funny when I did because I didn't really know his name. I called the White House and I said, listen, um, I'm looking for a guy by the name of Frank DeFramer. And they're like, oh, yeah, Frank's better. He's over here. No problem. I'll get you. And I was stunned. I was like, Frank, it's Kid Curry. Hey, kid, how you doing? Uh, well, I've got a grandma who wants a tour. Can I come over? And he says, anytime you want. You tell me what day and you just tell the guys when you get there 
who you are, and I'll tell them that I'm waiting for you, and they'll escort you right in. So it was, it was just after this, the assassination attempt on President Reagan, but they had not changed the security around the White House. So I'm driving around the White House just randomly with this girlfriend and grandma on the back seat of a Toyota Corolla. And I'm driving around and I, I see this, this road that looks to me like it goes right up next to the side door of the White House. So I start going down that road. Well, when you go down that road, <laughs> all the Secret Service guys start going like that and pointing guns and they were coming out of everywhere. Well, that caused my adrenaline to really begin to run. And as I've learned, and as people know from multiple sclerosis, stress is a trigger. So I'm driving up and I'm seeing these guys come at me and I'm thinking, well, I've got to tell them who I am. So I stop the car real quick and I, I put it in, in park and I, I start to get out of the car and my entire right side of my head disappears. I can't see. My shoulder goes and I fall out of the car. So now the Secret Service is thinking, well, who is this whack? And they're all getting closer and closer. I'm yelling, oh, I'm Kid Curry. I'm Kid Curry. And the guy's, hey, Kid Curry. Hey, how are you doing? Frank's waiting for you. Come on in. But that was a trigger. I didn't, those things happened to me throughout my career, and I didn't know what it was. Stress would hit, and I would fall, or something would happen. So remember the tsunami around 2004. The first time we'd seen anything like that on television, it was an extremely terrible time. I was on vacation out here in Colorado from Miami. I brought my, my wife and my kids out here, and we were out here watching the tsunami with my mother, who was devastated. She didn't even know what the word meant. So after that weekend, I'm going back to Miami. My mother says, there's something wrong with you. And I said, Mom, what's wrong with me is I'm running the biggest radio station in Miami. I work all the time. We just looked at the tsunami. I'm stressed by that. And she said, no, there's something else. Your eye doesn't look right. You're not walking straight. And that was in December. In January, my wife said, we got to go check this out. There's something really wrong. Uh, by March, I got diagnosed. And a week after I got diagnosed, I decided that was it because I was going down fast and I had to retire because I, I love my radio station. And I was so focused on what was happening to me, I'd stop paying attention to the radio station. Mm. So I wanted to get out. They didn't want me to. They tried to keep me. Uh, I told them, nope, I'm out. Um, I'm going to retire. I'm going to go back to my hometown in Colorado where my mommy is and I'm going to see what happens. And through a series of modern science, uh, I was on an MS drug for about eight years, and it just didn't work. Uh, my okay. doctor insisted we change that drug. Uh, and then he also insisted I take high doses of vitamin D. Um, apparently, there's a connection. Uh, MS patients have low vitamin D numbers. We all have low vitamin D numbers, by the way. But MS patients apparently have very low vitamin D numbers. And my doctor who has this book, Optimal Health with Multiple Sclerosis, uh, believes that, that if you take vitamin D, massive amounts, along with your medicine, it can change the trajectory of the disease. And strangely enough, after going downhill for a good eight or nine years, my condition leveled off. And I mean, <laughs> it was shocking because I could hardly talk. Dystonia is this thing that you may be familiar with. 
Um, the muscles in your throat don't work correctly and, and MS affects them. ALS patients have it terribly, um, but it happens to MS patients too. So I could hardly talk, by, uh, but over the last six years, um, my, my whatever has slowly come back. My shoulder isn't as sore as it used to be. My eye, still I see darkness, but it's not as bad as it was. Okay. My throat's not as closed off as it was. So whatever damage has happened, I'm, I'm sitting kind of a neutral right now. Yes, I have exacerbations sure. because that's just what MS does. Right. So I spent a lot of time talking there, Rob. I hope I answered a question or two. Yeah. So <laughs> no, no worries. Um, it's kind of giving the, the understanding and the backstory of kind of what you were going through and what the experience was when you received this diagnosis and with the diagnosis, you decide, okay, I'm retiring. Um, what, what was that? decision like for you what were you what were the emotional implications of that decision well when you do radio like i did radio and with the people that i did radio with and because i consider myself a radio baby uh i bled radio in fact my the ms doctor who who first diagnosed me she says that that because i was so dedicated and i worked so hard that the stress I was always under was probably what really kicked in the MS at the age of 50 because it had slowly progressed. But now keep in mind, it was nine years of running the number one radio station in Miami, Florida, uh, the best ratings they've ever had. I didn't want to miss anything. I mean, I wake up at three o'clock in the morning and listen. I wake up at five in the morning. I'm, I listen to it while the news is on in the afternoon. And the doctor said that stress is probably what did that to you. You being that so hard into your job is probably what did it. So I can tell you that um, it, it got me. It was a hard one. And my wife, um, who was always, you know, right there with me she 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 noticed it was really getting me because i i did this this was radio was my blood and to get out of it and then to have to turn myself into this whole different person because i talk about this too rob you know when i was kid curry uh, and running the big station in miami everywhere i went if i was at the grammys people wanted to talk to me if i was at a convention people wanted to get next to me but when 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 you're the ms guy and, and you can't walk very well anymore. And then you're on, first you're on a cane, and then you're on crutches, then in a wheelchair. You know this. People don't come close to guys like you and me. They stray from us. And so to be the guy all my life, whether it was the DJ, famous DJ, or the program director, and then to have it all turn just like that, it took me years to figure out what to do with that. In fact, I even had a website one time. Uh, was kidcurry.com wow. because I was Kid Curry. I'm not now. I mean, but I know that I am. I had, but I, I had a mental, real mental problem with it because I wanted to get rid of it. It was not me because me, I'm in the wheelchair. I'm dying of MS. And so it really bothered me. But my yeah. doctor fixed me and my wife, who is a international business coach, okay. <laughs> international business coach, we don't sit back in this house. Sure. We, we move forward. No, it is, you know, I have very similar experience, right? Where yes. one day I am a fit and active 25, 21 year old. And yes. the next day I've got, I'm paralyzed from the chest down. Like, and the question then becomes, who am I? And how does this impact my self-concept? 
And I, I'm sure that, you know, there are people out there who go through life and they, they have experiences like this. Do you have advice for somebody? They may not have an experience exactly like what you or I have, but do you have advice for folks who are going through changes in their life and are struggling with what does this mean about who I am? Well, I think, you know, it's, it's pretty simple to me. You wake up in the morning to decide who you're going to be. And if you wake up in the morning and decide, oh, woe is me, oh, no, look what's happening to me, um, then you're just going to stay that way all day and it's going to affect everything around you. We don't do that in my house. Sure. Uh, even, when I was, even when I was going down, I can tell you that, that it never really, I never really had MS. I was always struggling to fight through it. You know, when, when my wife and I moved out here, we got us an acre of property. Uh, on that acre, of course, you have to take care of the acre. And I convinced my wife to let me buy a John Deere tractor. Right. Gosh, 50 years old and my wife let me buy a tractor. It was awesome. I got to, oh, it had a front loader and a mower in the middle and a, 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 a tiller in the back. And I had to, I had to work my land. Sure. But in order for me to get up on to the tractor with my legs not working, I had to, I had to, it took me 10 minutes to pull myself up on the tractor. Okay. And remember, my legs don't use, don't work the accelerator and brake. So I had to hold my leg and push it on the accelerator. And I got really good with pulling it back. And, you know, because I wanted to live my life. I wasn't going to stop. I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to let it beat me up. Even though when I got to my hometown, uh, I was walking. I went right. to a cane, to crutches, to the wheelchair within three and a half years. Right. But I wasn't going to let it stop me. So I think you have to wake up and think, you know, I know, but I'm not going to know. I'm just going to decide I'm going to live the best I can today. And that's what we're supposed to do. I'm not religious. I'm spiritual without religion. Um, but I believe full heartedly that you control your destiny. Okay. It's, it's a reminder that um, you can focus on what you, what the differences are. You can look at what the changes are. You can look, because I think about, you know, a lot of professional athletes talk about what's missing in their life when they retire from professional sports, where you have this exhilaration that comes as you are the master on the field and you are, you are this superstar and then you retire and now you're just another guy who is out there and you, you lose that. But you decided that, the creativity, the passion, and everything that you had, you reinvented yourself in some ways, or you, you found a new outlet for that. Can you talk about what you're doing now to, to share your creativity and, and to get that out there? Thanks for asking, Rob. You know, I got to tell you that, you know, as I said, I was the guy. And then when I wasn't the guy, and then I finally, my condition leveled off, I had a situation happen. I had a friend from out of nowhere, you know, the radio industry is such that uh, we deal with the music industry hand in hand. And there's a guy, you, you see the Grammys. So you see the Grammy award winners, you see Taylor Swift, you see the guys get their Grammy awards, but they wouldn't get those Grammy awards were it not for the promoters to get those records on radio stations around America. A guy by the name of Vince Pellegrino had a magazine called Street Information Network. Every year, Vince would have a, a big award ceremony for the promoters 
No one else did this. He was the only one who took care of the promoters. And it got to be a huge awards ceremony I had never attended. Uh, It started happening like, I don't know, 1993 maybe it started, but I'd never been. So fast forward to somewhere around, I don't know, 2015, 14, I get a phone call. And I had not heard from this guy. Well, we had... He has a birthday on April 1st, minus 420. We also always say happy birthday to each other. But he called me one day and he said, you know, um, you disappeared because I did. I disappeared from the business for a long time. No one knew what happened to me. And he said, you disappeared. I think you need a lifetime achievement award. And I want you to come to my, to my convention, to my award ceremony, because I want to give you this award. And stunned was I because by this time I'm out of the business for 10 years and I, no one would remember me, but he insisted he wants to give me this award. So he flies me and my family out to New York. Uh, there's this big party. There's all this going on. There's all, and, and I, and they put me, he, I, I say hi to him backstage because that's where I saw him the first time. And he had a big coat on and a scarf and a hat. And he looked, he didn't look good, but you know, it, we, it was a few years older. I thought maybe he just got, fat or maybe just you know let himself go so we had this big party they put me up on stage and i'm in front of people i knew for 30 years and i got to see all my old friends and it was amazing i mean like they gave me the award and they were so gracious to me the next morning i get together with my friend vince and vince proceeds to tell me that he's going to be dead soon and the reason i brought you out here is because i want you to wake up i want you to do something i think you need to get back involved uh, because you you've we need you. And I told him that it had been so long. Um, I didn't know if I could do anything because the music industry is such, you can be out for two or three years and you're done. The radio industry was the same way. When I got out, it all changed. Uh, so I had to come up with something. And then my friend Vince passes away about a month and a half later. And for, for Vince, I thought I've got to f- figure out what to do. So I knew I couldn't get back in the business what I wanted to do was write the story of my career and include Vince in the story. So I, I actually went out because I'm a, a, being a DJ and being a talker is different than putting those words on paper. I had no clue. And I remember you know, my, my college English professor said to me one day after I flunked my first English test, she said, Mr. Curry, your problem is you write like you talk. And as a DJ, I walked away going, well, I'm going to be a DJ. I don't need English. So I never went back. So flash forward to where I was in my life. I actually decided to hire a writing coach. Uh, found someone up here. She's got a book out, Carrie Flanagan, uh, Guide to write, Magazine Writing, Article Writing. Uh, hired her. She taught me, and, and she made me work for six months. She wouldn't even talk to me till I read books to learn how to write. There's a book called... There's a book called Save the Cat Strikes Back. And she made me read that book. And then she made me read others. And then she talked to me. She taught me how to write. And I spent six months doing research after that. Spent six months writing my memoir. And I got a book produced. And then I had an idea in my head. I went ahead and wrote another book. And that came out. The first book, my memoir, was number 11. Got to be number 11 on the Amazon general broadcasting list shocking to me i couldn't believe it um but the second book actually is somewhat controversial um 
It's called The Death of Fairness. It talks about what happened after 1987 when President Reagan rescinded the Fairness Doctrine, which was the rule requiring equal time for contrasting points of view. Uh, so, and, and that sparked, sparked another book, which I just completed, and I've got some publishers waiting for me to finish it uh, here in the next month or so. So, Excellent. I've become a whole different person. I'm now a writer, and it's like my radio thing. I don't shut it off. I couldn't shut radio off. I would be up constantly if I was, I was thinking of the next promotion. What am I going to say when I play this next song? And it's like, I write all the time. I get up in the morning at three and four o'clock in the morning is when I do my best writing. And I sit here in my office and my wife works in an office across from me. Like I said, an international business coach. She goes from seven in the morning till five in the afternoon, every half hour, a different client around the world doing business coaching. So we sit here all day and we're whacking it out. But I've become a new, I become a writer. In fact, my writing coach gave me this. Can you see it? Kim Curry, writer. <laughs> Cool. Well, okay. So it, it's in some ways there's, there's two parts to it. The essence of who you are hasn't changed, but the way in which you, you know, the, the career that you've found and the way that you are expressing yourself and what you're doing has changed. And that's cool. I, listen, Kim, you have shared a tremendous amount. You've, I appreciate you sharing your story. If people are looking to find you on the web, where can they get a hold of you? I have a uh, Facebook page, K.R. Curry, the author, as on my Facebook page. I have a website, krcurry.com, and that's where I do all my stuff. And on there, you can see, you know, during the pandemic, um, because of my radio career, I've had some fairly famous friends, and I I called them all in to do interviews with them during the pandemic. and so you can see that uh, there's pandemic interviews, there's my commentary, which I do some commentaries. I do a thing called the view from my wheelchair, which I'm going to record one here and go live on Facebook in just a few moments. Sure. Uh, so there's all sorts of things there at krcurry.com. You can also get my books there. Yep. Um, Excellent. There yeah, you go. You're, That's me, Rob. <laughs> your pandemic interviews are, they're all called uh, One Cocktail, right? Is that? Uh, one Cocktail, cocktail with Kid. Yeah, and the reason I did that was because we all were going into this pandemic and people, I, I read a story that people were drinking too much. Okay. So I, I, was, I called it One Cocktail. You can get together with me every day and we're going to have One Cocktail with Kid was the name of the pandemic interview. Fantastic. So. <laughs> kid, thank you so much for sharing. Um, we're going to do three questions to establish your humanity. Are you ready? Yes, for these? Sir. Yes, sir. Rob, I am. What is your biggest fear? <laughs> you know, is that I don't leave my family prepared once I'm gone, okay. but I've done that pretty well, but it's, it's always there in my mind. I want my family to be okay. Once I'm gone. Fantastic. Uh, what is, was your favorite family vacation? Hmm. Okay. It's funny you say that. Um, there was a moment that happened when I brought my wife and I, my kids up here to Colorado. We were in Miami. I was doing my thing. And we came here on vacation. And there's a place here called Seven Falls. It's in Manitou Springs. It's up around the Broadmoor. It's called Seven Falls, where there's a fall that falls from seven different areas. It's beautiful. And you can actually climb the stairs to get to every level, but it's straight up. And I remember the first time my grandpa took me there when I was this big. It takes forever to get to the top, but at night, it's all lit up. It's beautiful. So I've got my wife 
And I'm standing on one of these platforms and my phone rang and I took the phone and I could hardly hear with all the noise, but there's my, one of my two mentors, uh, his name is Bill Tanner. Um, he's on the phone yelling at me saying, you did it, you did it. And I'm like, I did what? So we've got the highest ratings in the history of the station. You did it. And it was at that vacation where we were right there and we had a very wonderful time. We were having a great time anyway, sure. but that was something that took, you know, that was a 20 some year mission that people never thought I could do it. I mean, people told me I got turned down because people said you're too much of a, because I was like a, a little kid DJ um, and people didn't expect little kid DJs to be really good program directors, it but I pulled sense. it off. Excellent. It, it, you know, it, and it's, you have the experience of being with your family, being in a beautiful environment and ha getting, <sighs> getting that kind of call. It's a, it's a great, great story. It was a blessing. Um, really was. All right, so you have been a DJ around the country in different places. You were in Tennessee, you were in Texas, you were um, in Washington, you're in Miami. Of all of the places that you've been, what is the favorite food that you have experienced? It's kind of a, you know, whether it's the Cuban food in Miami or the, you know, the barbecue or whatever it is in Texas or the... Um, in Washington D.C., they have—is it the half smokes and the chili? Um, yes. So, what is the what's the the food that really stands out to you from your career? Once again, thanks for asking, Rob. Um, I'm married to a Cuban woman, um, so there's Cuban food in my house. Interestingly enough, my Cuban wife does not cook; won't even get close to it. My wife is the primary bread giver, <laughs> so so she does that, and I'm the cook. So I am a pretty good cook of Cuban food, and that's what we have here a lot. As a matter of fact, just last night, we had uh, pollo a la plancha uh, con maduros uh, y mariquitas, which is chicken uh, made on a, on a flat grill uh, with onions, grilled onions, and maduros, the long bananas that no one ever buys in the stores, the plantains. Okay. If you let them rot until they get dark, black you can cut them in half or you can cut little slices and, and fry them and they are the sweetest treat that you'll ever have as far as a banana so it's called maduros and the uh, mariquitas are the green version of the same vegetable you slice them up thin you but you, when it's green they come out like potato chips when it's black they come out like sweet Okay. So that one plantain. So I'm a Cuban food fan. Thank you for asking. Hey, that sounds good. <laughs> I appreciate it. Kim Kid Curry, thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, your story is wonderful, and I appreciate your willingness to share. And really, I'm thinking for everyone that's listening, as you're going through life, you're going to, to get to those times when things change, and you've got to make a, a, every. It's not the same as it was. And I, I, especially during this pandemic, where all of a sudden all of us are in a place where things are changing and we have to adapt. And whether it's like kid where you've got to make a, a major change and yet you realize the essence of who you are hasn't changed. The way that you express yourself has changed. That's all it comes down to. It's a fantastic story. And I think it's just something we can all learn from to all my listeners. Rob, very nice talking to you today too. Thank you very much. Oh, my pleasure. To all my listeners, I'll remind you that when you stop learning, you stop living. Have a great day, everybody.